the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He's been recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings nearly 40 years of experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. If this is the first time you've heard the show, you know, welcome aboard. And and first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate. In today's world, it's very, very important to avoid going through probate. And as far as elder law is concerned, our main focus usually is to try to save assets from nursing home bills. And... Today we have Harris Pappas, one of our most senior attorneys, and Harris, um, we, we were talking just before we got on the air about, and, and this is from my own personal experience, how much more litigious people are than they used to be. Well, yeah, Mr. Connors, uh, it, I haven't been practicing for decades like you have, but in recent years, it feels as if, however the estate is situated, however many heirs... Uh, they seem to want to litigate uh, and not have any appetite to respect maybe what the decedent wanted, respect the document that the decedent had executed, whether or not it's a will or a trust. Um, you, you're, you're talking about siblings. You could be talking about cousins. Uh, there, There's just a growing appetite to contest outright or indirectly. Yeah, and for no reason or no grounds. But you're working on a file right now where we have Nephews and nieces who didn't see the person who passed away for years and years had virtually no contact. And we know from other people that, uh, you know, the the aunt in this case was very upset with him. And yet when she passes away, they contest her will with virtually no contact. Correct. They, it, it has to have been abundantly clear, uh, while the aunt was alive, uh, she, she must have made it known to them, uh, not getting into the specifics or to any hearsay here, but it, it should have been abundantly clear from the facts in the case that um, they were not on good terms with their aunt, um, and they have come back full force to try and litigate her estate. Which is left to a charity. 
Correct. Which, you know, really means like what how can you contest against a charity? And and one of the things we we have been talking about, some charities are not as I don't know what you would call strong. They they really don't take a strong p- position. Of course, they didn't know the decedent, and maybe they feel a little guilty accepting money. I don't know, but it seems like a lot of charities or some charities are very weak in in their positions and in, in fighting for wills that clients have left them money. And and they may have other reasons, but uh, from what I've seen, especially in the last handful of files that I've had with charities being the uh, either a large beneficiary or the only beneficiary of the estate while defending against a, a will contest, um, they, they seem to have less of an intuitive nature to defend, right? There is more of a willingness to fold earlier where that could harm the estate. Um, it could harm other beneficiaries of the estate. Let's say the charity is the largest percentage beneficiary and there's some other individuals um, and the charity is willing to enter into early negotiations or maybe concede where they shouldn't earlier on, where it's making it easier for the opposition. Um, and it, it could end up harming the entirety of the estate. Uh, so yeah, it, it, you'd like to see them respect the decedent's wishes and, and have the decedent's intent in the back of their minds as well, because really that's what an estate administration should be. It should be to carry out the wishes of the decedent. Um, and maybe they have their own motives. Maybe they have their own directives that we don't see from a litigation they, perspective. They just want to be perceived as nice guys. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but it, it certainly makes it easier when you have a beneficiary of the estate that's not willing to fight as hard as the fiduciary of the yeah. estate is. And, and sometimes they even get involved in negotiations where we're not even involved in it Correct. To, to try to settle the case. And the problem is, and I think this is, over the years, this has been forgotten about in court, the decedent's wishes are not important anymore. So, the, the, the person who made the will said, I want to leave it to charity. And then some, somehow it gets to the point in courts right now that it's okay to change the decedent's will. That's exactly it. That's exactly what I was uh, alluding to earlier, uh, that the primary concern of any surrogate judge administering or overseeing any estate should be just that, should be to make sure the decedent's intent is carried out. That should be the priority. The beneficiary's interests, uh, whether or not they want to enter into an early settlement, uh, the litigant's interests, all of their interests should be secondary to the decedent's intent. Yeah, and I, I think that's being lost in today's modern world when there's, you know, relativism, there's no absolute truth, that everything is gray, you know, and that's that's just the way, you know, maybe that's a point for a theological discussion or something if we speak to Father Paul later. Um, you know, an, another thing we talked about before we got on the air, and I, I know I, we've probably been hitting home on this a lot, but the problems we have with people who do their own wills, they're... I mean, one problem we had once is somebody signed two original wills. And can you explain what the problem that is? Somebody would think, well, that's no problem. You got two wills. Obviously, you knew what they were talking about. Correct. There are are a lot of issues that can arise from executing more than one will. Uh, If you are doing it yourself and you don't have an attorney that's supervising or you don't have a witness that's experienced in, in witnessing wills as you would in a law firm, right? You have the employees of a law firm serve as witnesses. If you're doing the will on your own and you have lay witnesses, there can be confusion if you're executing more than one will. And if you're executing more than one will at the same time, 
your lay witness's testimony has to be close to perfect. If they slip up in any way, if they don't remember signing the second one, um, if they testify correctly as to the first and then they get contradicted or uh, they give a different response in terms to the set in terms of the second will that could impact the ability of the wills to be probated because technically if you have two originals that have the same exact terms you have to prove both you need both originals they both need to be perfect to be able to be submitted to court yeah one of the problems is if you lose one of those two original wills in theory you've revoked your will and somebody has to come up with a pretty good story of why that second will Correct. Is, that second original will is not in front of the court. And a presumption, according to the court, is you, if you don't have both original wills, you have revoked the will. And that is a serious problem. And I'm not saying it's impossible. You can come up with a good story. You, you get a good lawyer and come up with a good story. It might get through, but it's going to be a problem. And not only that, it certainly gives anybody who objects to the will legs to get a good settlement and entirely more ammunition than they would have had otherwise uh, it, it's a point of leverage that they're going to be able to use against the estate and it's going to be an extra burden to overcome so you, you're already starting at a difficult position when you have to administer an estate and you're dealing with a potential litigant and you throw in a fact like that it, it throws the ball in their court and it makes uh, litigation uh, far more easy for their attorney uh, to leverage against you guys and one of the other things, too, which, again, we talked about not that long ago, but it's it's a point that bears repeating because, obviously, we know not everybody listens to every show every week. And most of the time you listen to part of the show, not the whole show, so you may easily miss something. But it, witnesses, it's very important to have the right witnesses to your will. Can you explain some of the problems when you don't? Yeah, well, because you're going through it right now, even if you don't have two originals, not the example we just brought up, you got one original will and um, you, you decided to do it on your own, you, you printed it off the internet. Um, and you called in friends or acquaintances to be witnesses to your will. They may not be around. Um, they may not be the most cooperative after you're gone, even if they are around. Um, and, and even if they are and they do cooperate, they may not testify in, in a way in which helps the estate. And, and it may not be purposeful, and they're not doing it intentionally to work against your beneficiaries. They just don't know, right? They're not exposed to this. They haven't dealt with it on a daily basis. This may have been the first will that they witnessed, right? So they're a little nervous, and they don't know how to answer. So it could pose issues post-date of death in litigation when you're actually in full-blown litigation. Or, or it could pose an issue if they can't be found. They're alive, but they can't be found, or they don't want to be found. And then the estate's incurring costs to try and locate them. Um, they, they, could, they could not be in the United States any longer. We have an estate right now where the beneficiary is no longer in the United States, and we don't know when that individual is going to return. Yeah, the witness to the will has left the United States, and it's being contested. And if, you know, we're going to have a problem with the witness not in the United States. Yes, you can do apostilles and, and other stuff, but the person's got to be cooperative. And if Correct. you're sitting in another country, why are you going to be cooperative? And there's very little incentive after you're gone. Maybe maybe they had a relationship with you, and now that you're deceased, there's there's no more incentive for them to cooperate. It's really a lot of good faith on their part to participate, uh, to participate well and to help out the estate, the eventual beneficiaries of the estate. So it, it poses a lot of risk, uh, and it, it may end up costing your beneficiaries 
a lot of time, frustration, and money. I remember one estate contested estate that we were involved in, and one of the witnesses was a, a friend of the decedent, knew the decedent, but I think in her mind, she felt like if I kept kept saying at the deposition, I don't remember, nobody would bother her anymore. But of course, what happened was some of the things she said I don't remember were absurd. And easily impeachable, right? right. So, so in other words, it only gave the objections to people who were contesting the will more ammunition to keep going because the story didn't make sense. Correct. So yeah. th- th- those responses are, are only sufficient for so long. And you may not think that that could happen to you or to a friend of yours, but it, it's possible. There's a great deal of stress that uh, that accompanies being deposed, and they may just think, you know, I'll answer I don't know, I'll answer I don't remember, and they'll leave me alone. It's it's not going to work. If you have a, a litigation attorney that knows how to conduct these depositions, they're going to use it against you. They're going to throw simple answers or questions that require simple answers that you should never be saying, I don't remember to, or I don't know. Like, did, did you remember going to the decedent's house? Ever, right? Yeah, and you say, I don't remember if, if it was ever there. Well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. If you went there to sign a will, you probably should have remembered that day, and you certainly should have remembered whether you are ever in that person's house before. But to say, I don't remember, it just makes it makes the whole thing look phony and gives the objections more incentive to drag the case out and get a better settlement. Correct. You know, go ahead. So, and, and I'm not, we're not saying this to, to take away from friends that you may have or, or to take away from um, the, the ability to plan for yourself. What we are saying, though, is that if you want an estate to be administered efficiently after you're gone, to use the attorney, to use a law firm, and, and to have professional witnesses. Yeah, and, and I mean that because people ask me all the time because sometimes I give the seminars and I say why you shouldn't have amateur witnesses. And they say, well, who am I going to get to witness the will? And actually people coming in as clients all the time ask, well, who are the witnesses to the will? Do I need witnesses that know me for a long time that can testify? Well, that might be okay occasionally if you have three witnesses to the will and one of them might be a friend who can testify. But I can tell you right now, if you haven't testified in court, you haven't been subject to cross-examine, it's not pleasant. And to have every little detail jabbed at, poked at by an attorney who may be, you know, antagonistic to you personally, because some attorneys take it that way. C- correct. And and some of them that this is this is their profession. They're they're a litigator. They do this all the time. They know how to push buttons. They know how to manage personalities. Um, and they're looking for a reaction out of you. They're looking for a bad response out of you. You we're saying you and in the sense of your witness, right? Your lay witness. And you may think, well, I want a witness that has known me for the past 20, 30 years. And, and I'm, we're not saying that there isn't any validity to that, but having a professional witness, uh, having a law firm where the employees of that law firm have witnessed dozens or hundreds of wills or thousands, depending on the employee, that helps tremendously. And, you know, somebody else is going to come back. Well, wait a minute. If you witness thousands of wills, how are you going to remember my will? Well, the thing is, you don't have to remember that much. You just have to remember that we had a procedure for signing wills, and you know I think we had this question a couple of weeks ago on on one of the other shows, like what happens if my witnesses die? Well, sometimes if you have a contestable will situation, that's one of the best things because a witness who's dead can't be contradicted in court. And the affidavit that we have our witnesses sign simultaneous with the will um, will hold up. 
right? So that that affidavit will be presented to court for any deceased witness. Um, but there's there's a point to that as well, right? There, there's a point to having a law firm with witnesses uh, who will sign an affidavit to even if one of them were to pass away, um, it's not going to impact the ability for your will to be probated. All right, Harris, we're wrapping up right now, but get, tell uh, the audience, uh, you know, something personal. Where'd you grow up? Where do you live right now? Um, where'd you go to law school? Yeah, so uh, I grew up in Brooklyn, born and raised in Brooklyn, uh, Bensonhurst, Diker Heights, uh, went away to Pennsylvania for college, came back to New York City for law school here in Queens, um, St. John's University for law school, and then Connors and Sullivan was my first job out of law school. Okay, and for those clients who do have who speak Greek, the, yeah. So my my father's Greek. I'm conversing in Greek. Uh, a lot of clients that are first generation um, are more comfortable uh, communicating in Greek. We can have a conversation with mom and dad, um, you know, making them feel a little bit more at ease when discussing their planning. Yeah, because one of the things we learn sometimes when people are, are born in Europe or any foreign country. The concept of a trust is a little hard to understand, and sometimes it's easier in, to, to explain it in their native language. And give analogies or, or give different comparisons that they are familiar with. But yes, I, I'd agree with that. It, it's absolutely true with Greeks, but it's true with Europeans too. You, you have Europeans in general that the concept of a trust, they have nothing in their life that they can relate to that they've been exposed to prior to coming in and discussing their planning with us. So it, it's a little difficult at first, but once you start to have that conversation, they they understand. All right. Well, we're going to need to take a short break. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of minutes. You're listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, now accompanied by Harris Pappas. Thank you. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. You know, today's broadcast is a special broadcast because we have Father Paul back from the Middle East. Welcome Ray, to Connors Corner. Ray. Thank you so much. Hello, hello, and Happy New Year. Oh, Beth, my goodness. Mr. Connors, you Mike. Too. And of course, uh, all our thoughts and prayers are with uh, Ukraine and our friends from Ukraine. Uh, just guys, don't give up. We pray for you. Yeah, and we're actually we're trying to get later in the show one of our retired employees who uh, just escaped from Ukraine to Moldova. And that's Galena, who's been on the show more yes, than I a few times. Yes, I think you've met. I think you've met. No, you met. Yes, yeah, yes, I remember yes. that. She asked Galena. you about candles or something yes. once too, and uh, yes. that's in the church. That's a memorable moment. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a tough time for for them for sure. But I'm I'm so happy because in a way that a lot of governments, a lot of countries are supporting Ukraine, and you know I'm not talking just about sanctions, but like the community of people are saying prayers and and warm thoughts. It's 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 really beautiful. It's I think the humanity is back, which is fantastic. Well, that uh, one of the people I was talking to earlier today was talking about, you know, how Putin usually just comes in as a blitz and just bombs everything. Didn't that happen in Syria? Exactly. That was very, very, we call them blitzkrieg, very easy war and very fast one. But uh, I think Ukrainian uh, uh, people are, are tough and they're not giving up easily, which something we see on, on, on a daily basis now. But we've got some good news from you, right? Yeah, yes, what's up in Beirut? Beirut, yes. Um, a little bit quiet now. Uh, we do have elections in May, so let's see how it goes. But I had a chance to buy a used ambulance, which is fantastic. 
I can take that car and use it in our villages up to the north. Um, as you know, COVID is still everywhere, uh, but you know the, the Lebanese population is not really vaccinated 100% for sure, maybe 13, 14% um, for many different reasons. But uh, having that used ambulance get me, gave me a, a tremendous opportunity to bring medications and equipment to, to our folks in, in, in Lebanon, especially by the Syrian border. Um, so this is like about three hours by car from Beirut. So I was very, very happy. So a lot of good news. Also, um, the military hospital actually reopened. So we can also treat some, uh, some heavy cases with our military um, physicians who are coming from Jordan. So as you know, the, uh, the explosion that happened uh, August, um, in August was actually you know, uh, a devastating moment for all of us. But, uh, you know, step by step, we are rebuilding our hopes first and our uh, land is secured as well. I paid all taxes for local government, all fees or fines are paid on time. So and the ambulance is, is functioning and uh, maybe in about six months from now, I will start training um, new nurses and new personnel because we, we would love to really go to every single village to help people. That would be amazing. Now, where do you keep your ambulance now? I keep it now in our refugee center, which is 40 kilometers from Beirut. I don't keep anything in the city anymore. Okay, okay. As you, you understand why, because you never know these days. I understand there are all kinds of investigations, maybe, about what happened. Well, the, co the commission that's supposed to investigate the whole, the whole uh, blast uh, resigned. They said there's nothing to prove, there's nothing to to really uh, show us as a, um, as a proof. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a government that's very silent government. It's, it's a state without a state. Uh, and I think the Lebanese government completely gave up on, on their citizens. So uh, what, what I would love to do is at least give them a, a simple health care and, uh, and some, some medical help. And also spiritual one, which I do on on, on weekends. Um, so let's see how it goes. But I think um, if you see what's going on in Ukraine, imagine it's 21st century, independent country was invaded by another country. So um, usually you hear that kind of stories from different continents or different uh, parts of the world, but it happened in Europe. Lebanon was always very supportive uh, regard, regarding uh, refugees, so in the history of the country. So they really feel that what happened in Ukraine, it, it's just a crime. So uh, I would love to just pass our thoughts and prayers again to our Ukrainian friends from Lebanese Christians, especially because Orthodox Church is there too. Yeah, now, you know, sometimes we jumped a little bit quick now, but of course this is radio. And believe it or not, not everybody listens to the show every week. And of course, every once in a while, we get new listeners. So can you introduce, who are you? Oh, yes, absolutely. So uh, I'm Father Paul, and I'm, I'm a thief um, no. from a Capuchin Friary, <laughs> uh, uh, um, a Franciscan movement, a Capuchin Friar. So what I try to do, I'm, I'm taking all, all sadness from people, and I switch it to a little bit of hope. That's what we do for almost 20 years in, in, in the Middle East. Uh, medical help is something that I always knew that I wanted to, to do something meaningful. So as a physician and a Franciscan, I knew it's, it's a great combination. It's a very spicy combination. Very spicy, but it's very helpful. So um, 
as you know, St. Francis from Assisi is our boss. Um, he was a rebel, and I think it's good for us to be rebels from time to time. So here I am. What what what's the history of the Capuchins? Where? Great question. So we have three big Franciscan families. Of course, we we like each other from time to time. So the first one was Franciscan community. They wanted to be more like in their convent, in the friaries inside, thinking that people will come to them. And so that's the first reform. Second reform was um, Franciscan minor friars. They decided to go to um, with retreat, with, with um, kind of uh, Franciscan message uh, in the city. And the third reform, Capuchin Friars, we just decided to go to everyone who is not in the church. Because whoever is already in the church, we know they are inside, but we are looking for anyone who's outside, who's still debating or, or doubting, who's somebody who is still uh, asking questions, should I, uh, should I go, should I stay? So uh, Capuchins are more about going outside and, and, uh, and look for people who can feel lost, but since... They don't know they're lost as of yet. Um, our mission is to let them know you've just been found. Well, isn't that what Jesus did? Yes. Oh, yes. He was a great rebel. Well, that was, that's why he was crucified. You know how it is. But these days you can be crucified mentally, psychologically, politically. You can be crucified. I'm sure you know it in, in your country. Where once you have you share your values or, or beliefs, they will crucify you on any social media platform just because you think differently. So, uh, yeah, that's a very interesting time we live in. Yeah. Now, just I'm I'm just going to summarize again because some of our listeners are advanced years. You're both a priest and a medical doctor. Correct. Yes. Yes. I do have a theology degree, just to let you know, my friends. <laughs> so don't be afraid. I have all certificates. I can celebrate masses and and confess and listen to all your beautiful stories. So do not be afraid. But I do also have my medical training, medical school, and and I finished my PhD here at NYU. So looks like I think I'm like a legit doctor. I think so. So you got three doctorates. Yes, yes. I love collecting titles. <laughs> so if you see my my bathroom, it's it's a great co uh, collection of different frames. Yeah, but most the most important thing is that I love being with people, and uh, and I have way more hope now than the last time we've met, because I was in a kind of miserable condition. But since there's a lot of hope, and I and I see it on a daily basis in Lebanon, I'm I'm always very happy to share it. Now, ah. can you tell the listeners what happened to you back in August? Right. What is it? Two two years ago? Year and a half? Yes, ago? It's yeah. almost. Yes, time flies. So yeah. uh, we've been uh, we've been in our clinic, which is um, which is um, Newport where the explosion has happened. So um, the only thing I remember, the first sound was like, um, we are having um, small car uh, bombs um, here and there in Beirut just to uh, to keep our life a little bit more miserable. Um, so that was the very first sound I understood. It must be a small car bomb. And after I just woke up uh, in, a, in a military hospital and, and they told me what happened and, and how it happened. And it was a huge... It was a huge disaster, but also uh, uh, um, the whole Christian area was wiped out. And my hopes were wiped out as well. I was very angry, very upset. Uh, it's 20 years of, of, of my work, clinic, medical equipment, everything friends you were giving me on f since the day I've met uh, Mr. Carlos and Beth and Mike, uh, it all melted because of the explosion. We've lost everything. And um, so my health was also kind of damaged at some point, but... Um, 
so it took me some time even to recover from anger because I don't like to be guided by anger and if you feel angry uh, it's good for like two or three minutes but don't don't try to celebrate that anger because it's it's a very damaging um uh these are very damaging emotions so um the explosion uh I ended up in um in a military hospital and it took me a few months to kind of understand what what happened and how it happened i did i needed also a medical intervention for myself that's why i came to n y u uh new york and since then i do i do yes i feel there's a progress in my health too but uh most important is that i feel way less angry now and with more hope than before so that that's a good sign so God is great and uh, you know we do have to thank our listeners yeah. that have been sending you money yes absolutely um, because that's how we bought the uh, the used uh, ambulance that's how we have money even to um exchange to Lebanese pounds and give people so they can buy you know um things that they need on a daily basis we paid scholarships for for a lot of students because they are not, um they have no money even to pay uh, simple things for school but most of 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 your donations went for our medical um help and support that we provide for villages up to the north by the Syrian borders so where where those villages were really abandoned because we I couldn't reach out to them because I didn't I didn't have an equipment to to share with them so thanks to your help we we did it we made it in our Christian community it's very also excited and just to let you know I'm I'm helping Christian communities because we are these are our brothers and sisters and uh, and I and now I know them uh, for almost 20 years so thank you again for all your kind help it's it's really much appreciated yeah. what is the condition in Syria right now Oh, Syria Mr. Konos uh became a very quiet um dictatorship again. Um we don't know much about what's going inside because the the borders closed. But uh our refugees who are in touch with their family members in Syria they say that um there's no hope for them because the government decided whoever left Syria they cannot come back because they're they're treated as as traitors because they left Syria because of war. So so you know Syrian government they decided that they there's no place for them. So now we have uh 1 million uh people in in Jordan refugees uh from from Syria and they have no way back. So that's what happens now and it's very upsetting but that's reality that they have to face. So that's also for us another reason because there are a lot of Christians from Syria that they need our help as well. All right, Beth, you were going to say something. I cut you off. Well, no, 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 that's okay. I just now Father Paul, are you Roman Catholic? Oh, well, well now yes. Uh, but I was raised as a, as a Lutheran, is that funny? Well, yes. well, I'm a Methodist. Yes. I'm a Methodist. Now do you do you would you help me if I were hurt Absolutely. in the okay. Absolutely because and, we are Christians. And that's number one. And all these denominations, I'm I'm sure God is having a great time. making fun of us but uh yeah i i help everyone who who believes in Jesus Christ uh first because that's that's my mission. Well i just we have a lot of people that listen to the radio that are methodists and you know i just want to let them know that you love us too. Yes, oh yes because i was i was always loved by you guys and uh <laughs> and also remember in Lebanon we have a Maronite church so they're not like Roman Catholic people. we have orthodox but i do believe that once we open the same gospel once we open the same the same uh, sunday message which is full of hope uh that would uh, i mean drives me positively into into helping christians uh, first and foremost absolutely 
I'm now, so did you, happy. Have you seen the the shrine to Shabo and Saint Patrick there? Because the okay. the yeah, because it's uh, now um, the whole uh, highways are supervised by the Lebanese army, so we have no access to to that part of. No, I'm talking about the one in Saint Patrick's, New York. Oh, oh, in the, oh, yes, in the, in the, in, the, in the, on Fifth Avenue. Yes, yes, yes. I saw it. I saw it. Monsignor Ricci, I'm sure he's very proud of. Well, he's retired. Oh, now. he's not there anymore. Oh, I didn't know that. He didn't yeah. tell me this. Okay. We have, I'm telling we have, now. A, yeah. Okay. Well, it's new. It's this happened pretty quickly. Oh, it's a new yeah. fella, Michael. Where is he from? Okay, I don't. He's know. from Nicaragua. Nicaragua. Okay. A new pastor. A uh, new pastor. Yeah, we got a new pastor here at Our Lady of Angels too. Which. Oh yes, yes. That, we, that, we have yeah. to get try to get him on the show too, but he's kind of elusive. <laughs> huh, interesting. Let me talk to him. I've met him, so yeah. so thanks to you. He's a, ni- he's a nice, fellow. nice man. Yes. We'll we'll figure it out. But to all our listeners, if you if you feel that your prayers uh, or you you feel tired and 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 lost, always remember that um, the entire Christian community in Lebanon uh, is praying for you, and and also we our existence is is, is possible thanks to you. So. So please don't give up, and and um, if you have any questions, if you need more more details, you know uh, how to find me, and also Mr. Connors and Beth and Mike, they're, they're all here to answer any questions you have. And I hope one day when the COVID will be over, I think we should have a, like an amazing, huge um, Eucharist or a meeting somewhere in the in a big church so we can chat together and that have a nice time. Wonderful. Maybe yeah. we'll try to do that in June. Yes, absolutely. That would be great. And you're all invited. That's right. Yes, uh, oh, I'm invited, and my dears. Don't you, worry if you're not Catholic. I mean, this is not an issue. Uh, we can still hug each other and and say a, a beautiful prayer together. Oh, that would be lovely. Yes. And maybe John Episcopal will, 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 will preach for us again <laughs> the same way he did last time. Oh, yes. you, you snagged him on that one. Yes, yeah. yes. It was a beautiful... Um, forced um, uh, <laughs> preaching moment, but yeah, we love it. What he's talking about, and of course, everybody who listens to this show knows Joe Piscopo. But Father got Joe Piscopo up on the altar and got him to, you know, praise Jesus. Yes, in, uh, yes. in <laughs> a public altar. space. Yes, yes. He was really amazed, and he was also uh, sweating as hell. But we we made it. It was a, a beautiful moment because I think there's a little bit of joy in in everybody's life. If you if we only concentrate on what's bad, what, what upsets us, we will never discover that hope again. So a little bit of joy it helps a lot. It was great. it was very very nice. And you do look good. Oh yes, oh yes. I'm in a way better place. I know it sounds sounds awkward, but I didn't go to any Mount Sinai. Uh, a treatment center. No, it's just I think faith and hope that something that keeps us alive. And once I, I I was able to reach out to our communities in in northern part of Lebanon with that beautiful old-fashioned German ambulance, um, I was I was just ecstatic and and very very much happy. So I I don't need a lot of things to be happy, but this one made me oh very that happy. this is wonderful. Yeah. When Are you, you able to drive now? Yes, yes. I uh, I was able to drive. Of course, I drive with a second person just in case. But um, I still have my medication, so it, it it gives me dizziness or something. I do have a second driver. But for me, the moment even to see people I didn't see for almost a year and a half uh, by the Syrian borders in those villages, we were, we were all really crying and very emotional. But um, I was very excited, very happy. And also, uh, my friends, uh, it all happened thanks to you because your help uh, helped me to, to buy this used uh, oh, ambulance. It's, it's... So just to let you know, it's it's because of you. 
It's thanks to God. It's thanks to the prayers. Um, it's just, you do bring hope. I you love do it, bring yes. Hope. But I wasn't really hopeful, as you remember, uh, before because of what happened to us. But I feel like uh, maybe it was a dark moment to discover that we still believe in, in light. And sometimes you have to sit in a dark place and have a light conversation. So that's what right. I had with, with God. And I think, uh, and the tremendous amount of, of your prayers and help and your support, uh, emails, and that's kind of fascinating. So I, I was always very, very happy about that and very grateful for it. So St. Francis in Beirut is up and running? Yes, it's a non-profit organization that we were able to to start um, together with uh, Mr. Carlos, Beth and Mike, St. Francis in Beirut. If you want to help us, that's the name of our organization. And um, any donation is tax deductible. Am I yes, right, Mr. Connors? Because you're a lawyer. Um, I'm the Biden administration was going to take that away from us, but they didn't. No, they didn't, and we have it. And uh, there's also there's also opportunity for you to to understand that uh, Saint Francis in Beirut is the organization, but it's all about people at the end of the day. And we support them. We support Christian communities, and especially from the medical perspective, that's my mission. All right. Well, why don't we, you know, coming to the end of our segment for today, why don't we end up with a, a prayer for, you know, everybody, but especially our friends in Ukraine? Absolutely. So, Slava uh, Ukraine, which means, you know, glory to Ukraine, to our um, friends who are going through a very hard time. So, Lord. Please bring us peace, because you told us many times, peace be with you. Um, after your resurrection, that was your very first uh, few words you, you said to your apostles. Peace be with you. So let us celebrate that peace in our hearts, and, and let us send that peace in our prayers to our Ukrainian um, Christians and, and whoever is suffering uh, because of that injustice, um, unjustified war. Um, let us pray for our Ukrainian brothers and sisters because they need us more than before. Um, I'm sure you know someone who knows someone who met someone from Ukraine. They're very uh, generous, amazing people, um, very helpful, um, with a lot of uh, hope, and they need us uh, uh, more more than before. So they need our, our prayers, our help. If there is any way you can help um, any Ukrainian friend you know or somebody knows, please do. Please do so, and God just guide us through these dark moments. And please always keep us safe, and also let us understand that peace is only because of you, because love brings peace, and anger brings war. So please, um, with St. Francis from Assisi, with, with St. Sharber from Lebanon, let's all pray for that peaceful resolution for, for Ukrainian uh, people who are really in need of it, especially now. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a blessed evening, my friends. Thank you, Father. Do you know how many Christians live in the Middle East? Six million people. Do you know how many Christians need your help? Every single one. Do you know what we can do? With St. Francis in Beirut, we can give them hope, we can give them medicines, we can give them medical equipment, we can give them everything they're looking for, because some others decided to remove Christianity from the Middle East. But if we will help them every single day, not just to feed them or clothing, it's all about giving them another day with the idea that they are recognized, that we love them, they are cousins, sisters, 
there are roots. So St. Francis in Beirut, it's all about helping Christians. And you can be part of that help too. If you want to help Father Paul in his mission, send your donations to St. Francis in Beirut, 213 Stanton Street, New York, New York, 10002. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. You know, everybody out there who's listens to the show, you know that we talk a lot about history. And part of one of the great parts of, of the history of Western civilization is the Knights of Malta in 1565 standing up to the Ottoman Empire. And, and right now we're very pleased to have a friend of ours, Nancy Graby. Welcome to the show, Nancy. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for having me. Okay, so you're a member today of, of the Knights and Dames of Malta, correct? Yes, well, I'm, I'm a Dame of Malta with the American Association, as well my husband is a Knight of Malta with the American Association. There are three associations in the United States. There's the American, the Federal, and the Western. Um, because of the size of, of our country, um, we have the three um, centers, but it's all under the Order of Malta. So what is is the Order of Malta? I mean, yeah, you know, we started, 1565 was a big point there. We had the Siege of Malta. Can can you tell us something about the history uh, of that siege and how the Knights, you know, after what happened? Yeah. mm -hmm. Actually, the Order goes back to 1048. It's over 970 years old. And the purpose was to uphold human dignity and care for people's needs. Basically, our charism is aid to the sick and poor and defense of the faith. Um, The Sovereign Order of Malta is one of the oldest institutions of Western and Christian civilization. It's a lay religious order of the Catholic Church since 1113 and a subject of international law. The Sovereign Order of Malta has diplomatic relations with over 100 states and the European Union, and is a permanent observer status at the United Nations. It's neutral, impartial, and apolitical. Uh, Today, the Order of Malta is active in 120 countries, caring for people in need through its medical, social, and humanitarian work. Day-to-day, its broad spectrum of social projects provides a constant support for forgotten or excluded members of society. It is especially involved in helping people living in the midst of armed conflicts and natural disasters by providing medical assistance, caring for refugees, and distributing medicines and basic equipment for survival. The Order of Malta, their arm that provides these services is called Malteser International. And it's, I guess you could kind of liken it to the Red, Cor- the Red Cross portion of the Order of Malta. So within our own countries, we do multiple different works, but Malteser is the one that goes out there just in uh, cases like this where there is a crisis in Ukraine. And they can be seen by their eight-point Red Cross. And these these eight points are symbols for the eight Beatitudes. So we fly under a neutral, a neutral cross. Um, going back to the 11th century, the Knights of Malta were known as Knights Hospitaller when they established a hospital in Jerusalem to care for the pilgrims of any religious faith or race. And uh, 
like I mentioned, they've been a religious order since 1113, uh, the year that they were recognized by Pope Paschal II. Uh, and as a religious order, they, we are linked to the Holy See, but at the same time, independent as a sovereign subject of international law. So that's just a little bit of the background. Um, you Do, you know, know, it, 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 Do you know what they're doing today to help the refugees and the, the people of Ukraine? Yes, actually, um, they are on the forefront of delivering aid to the Ukrainian refugees. And I can just tell you that um, they have established an emergency shelter providing beds for over 250 internally dis displaced people in Ivano Frankivist. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correct, but it's in Western Ukraine. Um, also, field kitchens uh, and for psychological support, a medical station, and they have multiple volunteers who are currently deployed. Food for thousands of people is being distributed in lives at the train station. Um, and there's further uh, plans for deployment of volunteers uh, to continue to distribute those uh, food, those food needs. Um, as of yesterday, and I'm sure it's changing dr dramatically, there were approximately 50,000 refugees were admitted on a daily basis to Poland, and medical teams of the Order of Malta are on the ground to provide health and assistance to the refugees, and the volunteers uh, from the Order of Malta are organizing relocation uh, for refugees and providing humanitarian equipment uh, that the Polish government has, uh, Polish Association of the Order of Malta has uh, given to the Ukrainian firefighters. Um, so it just goes on and on. There, there are so many different things that they're doing to assist all of these um, refugees, not only just in Poland, but in Hungary, and Slovakia and Roma Romania. So it's a multi multiple uh, points of uh, assistance going on uh, since the beginning of this conflict. I'm just curious, and maybe you know the answer or not, but did they have any member knights or dames in, in Western Ukraine or in Ukraine? There was, uh, there, there was a headquarters in Kiev, the Order of Malta headquarters in Kiev, but now, of course, it has been closed. So um, there are members throughout all of Eastern Europe. And um, also Germany has been very effective in providing support through the, uh, their order of Malta. So when something like this happens, all the different countries, they all pull together. They come under the one flag and provide supplies and assistance um, on a volunteer basis. So it's quite remarkable what they've done. And and that and this is not the only time. This has been going on for centuries where they will come in and under their neutral flag uh, provide assistance wherever it is needed. Now, where can people find out? Where pe can people contribute? I mean, I assume you'll take contributions from non-members. Oh, absolutely. Well, the first thing they can do is um, if they would like to mail a check, I can give you the address, and it would be the Order of Malta American Association, and that would go to 1011 First Avenue, 
room 1350, New York, New York, 10022. They can also call the New York office, and that number is 212-371-1522. If they mail a check, please, in the memo, write Ukraine. This way the money will go directly to the, the needs in the Ukraine. And if they call, they can give their credit card over the phone. As we speak, they are setting up online a special uh, link to make donations just to the Ukraine. And that link is orderofmaltaamerican.org. So you can go onto that link and you can look for donations. And as I said, they are at this moment setting up a special area of donation online just for the Ukraine. The other thing that's really important to know is that for every American dollar that is donated, the European orders will match it. So be confident that when you give, it's being matched by our European knights and dames. So I think that's important to know. Can you give the phone number again? Because I think that would be the easiest thing for people to remember and, and call. Sure. The number is 212-371-1522. And that's in New York City. And I can repeat the address. 1011 First Avenue, room 1350, New York, New York, 10022. And again, orderofmaltaamerican.org, all lowercase. So you can, if you if you need to get in touch with them, you can just go online, call, or send your check, but indicate it is for the Ukraine. We want to make sure that all donations go directly to that particular cause right now. Okay, Nancy, thank you very much for letting us know about that. We're going to have to talk about the history of the Knights of Malta another time. Well, I thank you very much, Mike, for um, letting us speak to you about this. Um, it is a rich and interesting history. I barely touched on it. Um, so we would love to come back and really delve into um, the, the full history and where we started and where we are today. So, again, thank you for the opportunity to share our charism for the help to the sick and the poor and the defense of the faith. Thank you very much, and let's all keep the wonderful people of Ukraine in our prayers. Yes, that will do. Okay. Um, i just let you know, we uh, we have Father Paul taped, and he's already you know, said some prayers from the Ukraine, so we're going to be on the same show. Oh, wonderful. So you're going to be That's on with good. Father Paul. And actually, he's Great. on some commission right now. He was just appointed... Uh, He's talking to a, a bishop in Manhattan. He called us uh, about the refugees in Ukraine, mm-hmm. from Ukraine. Yeah. So I, I, he just gave a short message. I don't know when we're going to talk to him. We'll see. Well, he certainly knows. Uh, he's been there and done that and knows yeah. what this is all about. Right. And his experiences in the Middle East. So uh, no one knows better than he does what the needs are. Yeah. And I understand he told us there's a Capuchin friary in Kiev. Oh, so I don't know how that. Wow. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. We'll be in touch soon. Um. He said he's going to come with us to the, what is it, March fifteenth meeting. 
Yes, yes, I got the the message. From okay, the staff so that, um, you and Beth and Father Paul and will uh, Mike also be coming, or we don't know. I don't know yet. We'll have to figure out our schedules. Okay, okay wonderful. Okay, thanks again. I, All right. I hope. I hope you gave you what you needed. I did, yeah, that's you know. yeah because we had to, this is to to get it in for the, the weekend showings, so we can okay, talk great. we talk about the history a little bit later, you know, in a month or so. Right. Okay. Great. All right. Okay. okay. Thanks again, Mike. Okay, okay Nancy. Mm-hmm. Right, bye. Bye now. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And let's remember to pray for Ukraine. Hi, Kevin McCullough. Bye-bye. Are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain their assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. Connors & Sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors and Sullivan, Attorneys at Law, PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.